Amen. Amen. John's Gospel, chapter 4. John's Gospel, chapter 4. I'm going to save uh, the couple announcements that I have for the end tonight after we share some thoughts out of God's Word tonight. Sort of going along with what we've been singing and even what Nicole shared, here's, here's how I'd like to approach this chapter tonight. We see throughout the Gospel of John that, that Jesus is dealing with individuals. And we need to be reminded that our God meets us individually. And I can't explain how God can give all individuals undivided attention, but He can and He does. And so, as we approach this tonight, I want you to really try to put yourself in this place tonight. I want you to block out everyone else. I want you to think about being just you and Jesus, one-on-one, alone, sitting and talking. Because that's what we see here happening tonight with this Samaritan woman. And just like we saw a couple weeks ago with Nicodemus, Jesus, the Son of God, is willing to meet us individually, one-on-one. He always has time for us as individuals. And He wants to minister to you and me tonight as an individual. And so He wants us to just, again, take all the distractions and Try to pretend like no one else is around. It's just you and God. And just like maybe this Samaritan woman, it's you and God sitting at a well on a sunny day and just relaxing and having a conversation. That's what we see here in John chapter 4. Now before we get to that, I want you to notice this. In the first couple verses of John chapter 4, when John sets this up, he says, Now when Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was winning and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and set out once more for Galilee. couple things. First of all, let's remember that Galilee and the region around Galilee was sort of Jesus' headquarters during His earthly ministry. It's where He concentrated the majority of His ministry. It was in the region of Galilee. In fact, He's called later on in the Gospel of Matthew a Galilean because He concentrated so much of His ministry in the region of Galilee. Now, certainly, He also brings this out later that that meant that all those little towns in in that region of Galilee was more responsible because they experienced more, they saw more, and therefore they were held more responsible. But I also want you to notice this. Jesus here is, is modeling something for us. He's being an example to us of something. And that is when it is time to avoid certain things and when it's time not to avoid certain things. And and that's part of why you and I need to depend on the Lord and the leading of the Spirit every day. Because there's going to be times in God's wisdom where it's actually better to avoid certain things. And there's going to be times where it's better not to avoid certain things. 
And you'll notice here in these first couple verses that Jesus is avoiding at this point in his ministry a confrontation or a further confrontation with the religious leaders of Israel. Because he doesn't want to get caught up in wrangling with the religious leaders and distract him from his primary mission and ministry of why he is here, which is to seek and save the lost. There will be a time come in God's timetable, where he will be willing to confront the Pharisees. And let's also be reminded, it's not because Jesus is afraid of the Pharisees. It's not because he's intimidated by all the religious leaders of Israel. It has to do more within his wisdom. He understands that he doesn't want to be distracted. So therefore, he's pulling away and he's going back to Galilee so he can continue to minister to the people who are receptive to his ministry and not get caught up in all of the distractions of those who are trying to bring his ministry down. He's teaching us something here, even by the way he's living. There are times to avoid certain things because what God has called me to is greater than what I'm going to be distracted by over here. It reminds me of Nehemiah when he's up on the wall, building the wall. And there continues to be these people who come to Nehemiah who try to distract him. And Nehemiah's response is, I'm not coming down off the wall and stop this great work that God has called me to. You see, there's a time to avoid certain things and keep focused and keep going on what God's called you to and to not let yourself become embroiled in something that in the long run, is not part of where God wants you to go at that point. You see, it might even be a matter of of timing. But Jesus doesn't avoid, doesn't avoid contact with the Samaritan. And we see in this passage that the Jews of Jesus' day would do almost anything to avoid contact with Samaritans. Because Samaritans to a Jew was several things. First of all, they weren't full-blooded Jews. The Samaritans were born about whenever the Babylonian captivity came about. And you know the story of, say, even Daniel and how the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar chose the choicest of Israel. Young men and women that he could take back to Babylon and be part of his, you know, contingent there, if you will. Which meant that he left the less, as far as he was concerned, the less than desirable people back in their homeland. And what ended up happening was the people who were left behind started to intermarry with other peoples that started to sort of flood into that area. And they became intermingled together. And then they started to adopt sort of a, uh, a system of worship that sort of took a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And it was just a hodgepodge of stuff. To the point where Samaritans only regarded the first five books of the Bible as legit. They didn't even believe the rest of the Old Testament after the book of Deuteronomy. They didn't accept that. So... The Jews really built up over time, for many other reasons, a hatred and a prejudice against Samaritans. And if they had to go north into Israel, 
Many times they would go around the region of Samaria just because they didn't want to deal. They didn't even want to have any contact with Samaritans. And so what we are seeing here in these first couple verses of chapter 4 is that Jesus is choosing to avoid one thing, but he's choosing not to avoid something else. He's choosing to have contact with Samaritans. In fact, later on, Jesus even blows the socks off of the Jews when he uses a Samaritan as an example of someone that was, you know, sort of to be an example to them when he gives them the story of the good Samaritan. We don't realize how much that would have gotten under the, you know, collar of Jews. What do you mean using a Samaritan as the hero of the story? That's just, ooh, (laughs) to a Jew. So in verse 4, John writes, He had to pass through Samaria. It was a necessity established by God. It was because of God's leading that he had to go to Samaria. And and I want you to notice this, that yes, even though Jesus is God, remember during his earthly ministry, he lays aside the independent use of his attributes and he allows the Spirit of God to lead him as an example to those who would come behind him of how we are to live the Christian life, that we are to depend upon the leading of the Holy Spirit. And there are going to be times where God is going to say, I want you to go in this direction. And you may not have something planned. You may not have something prepared, but you've got to trust me that if you take that step in that direction, there's going to be someone or something that I want you to come in contact with. And again, Jesus is an example of that. He didn't have necessarily a formal appointment with this woman. But God was going to lead him to this woman because this woman needed an encounter with God. And there may be times where you feel like God is leading you in a certain direction or whatever, and you and I may not know exactly how it's going to turn out. But we've just, like Jesus, got to be open to the opportunities as they come and seize those opportunities to maybe be a light and be a witness and to share Christ with those around us, even if we haven't planned it or prepared for it. And that's what we're seeing here with Jesus. One who's always prepared to seize the opportunities that God is giving. So the Bible says he came to a Samaritan town called Sychar, near the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, since he was tired from the journey, sat right down beside the well. It was about noon. You'll also obviously notice in this verse the 100% humanity of Jesus. That even though he is 100% God, a very God, the Bible also teaches us that he is also 100% human. And in his humanity, Jesus got tired. He was weary. He had traveled a long distance to get to Sychar. And it was time for him to sit down and get a drink. Remember, that region, like Phoenix, was very arid and dry. And I'm sure after a long walk, he was dry. And he wanted a drink 
of water. So the Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus says to her, give me some water to drink. There's a lot of contrast between Jesus' interaction here with the Samaritan woman and Nicodemus. I'm just going to mention a couple. Obviously, she's a woman. He was a man. He was a religious leader who had a high reputation. She is a woman probably of pretty low reputation. He was a Jew. She's a Samaritan. Nicodemus initiated the contact with Jesus in the conversation. Jesus initiated the conversation and contact with the woman. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. This woman and Jesus' encounter was during the day. And, and one of the things that we see in this passage that I just want to throw out here, because a, a lot of times people look at the Bible through the lens of the 21st century instead of through the lens of where the Bible and when the Bible was written, and we miss some things. And one of the things that we miss is how the Bible and how Jesus, during his earthly ministry, elevated women. Everywhere the gospel goes, it elevates women for this reason. First of all, a Jew would have never had contact with a Samaritan. A man would have never been caught dead talking to a woman. A religious leader, a rabbi, like Jesus, even if you didn't believe he was the Son of God, would have ever talked to someone of the kind of reputation of this woman. In fact, even in Jesus' culture, it wasn't proper for a husband to talk to his wife in public. And we still see even in our day and age that in the Middle East... (laughs) There's a lot of oppression of women, even to this day, in many cultures. Jesus, by the very fact that he is willing, out there in public, to talk to this woman, is actually elevating her and saying, you are worth it. You are of value that I should talk to you and speak with you. And so we need to remember that as well. And Jesus, again, is initiating the conversation and the contact with the woman by saying, could you give me something to drink? Jesus obviously didn't have a ladle or a bucket, as she even uh, refers later to. He had nothing to draw from. So he's asking the woman simply, with your utensils that you've brought to the well to draw water, could you draw an extra cup for me as well. And notice verse 8. This was one-on-one. This was private. This was him and her alone. Why? Because the Bible says his disciples had gone off into the town to buy supplies. Jesus just wanted some alone time with this gal. Again, that would have been unheard of in Jesus' day. A man and a woman would not have had that kind of contact. So Jesus here is breaking down all kinds of barriers and all kinds of walls. He's not being in any way inappropriate. He's trying to get, first of all, 
the, the Jews of his day to overcome their hatred and prejudice of other people. And, and he is the, you know, the personification of God himself because he is God. And God so loved the world, which means he not only loved the Jews, he loved Samaritans too. And he came to seek and save Samaritans as much as he does the Jew or any other Gentile. And it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman. In fact, this woman of Samaria really is representative of a lot of people throughout history, as we're going to see in just a moment. The reason being, because this woman of Samaria has tried to fulfill and satisfy the longing in her soul by physical and material means. And one of the main things that Jesus is going to teach this woman here is that longing, that searching, that, that wanting something and all that you've tried to do in your life to fill that, that hole through all these other ways, I'm the one that can fulfill that. I'm the one that can satisfy that. And instead of trying to look at phys- something physical or material to fulfill that, that longing, How about something spiritual? And that's what Jesus is teaching this woman here. So the Samaritan woman said to him, and here's where she's flabbergasted. (laughs) How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for water to drink? For Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. They have no use for. They do not associate. They have no dealings with Samaritans. In fact, in the original Hebrew language, what she's really saying to Jesus is, you're willing to drink out of the same cup that I'm drinking out of? To her, that just... Again, Jesus was breaking down barriers. That's what God's love will do. It will go places where... Others won't. So again, notice, he was avoiding certain things at the beginning, but now he's seeking not to avoid certain things. He wants contact with this woman. So Jesus answered her. And now, beyond initiating the conversation and and, and striking up a conversation with her and just trying to get things started, now notice what he begins to do in his witness. He wants to arouse some curiosity in her about spiritual things. For instance, it would just be like us if we got in a conversation with somebody and we didn't really know where they stood spiritually. We may even just point blank ask them, what are your spiritual beliefs? What do you believe? And in a sense, that's what he's trying to begin to do here in her life when he answers her. If you had known the gift of God and who it is who said to you, give me some water to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. First of all, I want to point this out because this is so cool. In verse 10, the word gift is a word that means to express honor. In other words, we need to remember that when God gives us things, when He gives us and grants us eternal life and all the other good and perfect gifts that comes down from the Father of lights, 
that he does these things as a way to even honor us. That's how much he thinks of us. That's how much he values us and how much he thinks we're worth is that the gifts that he gives are only good because he wants to honor us when he gives. That's a great way to look at giving in this season of giving and thanksgiving is that giving should go beyond just, say, benefiting someone and being used to actually show honor to them. And think of it that way. When we give like God gives, we're not just trying to maybe meet a need. We're also trying and seeking to honor them as well in our gifts. And Jesus is simply saying, look, if you knew who I really was and what I could offer you, you'd be, you'd be asking me for living water. The word living means powerful. It means influential. It means effective. It, it's also uh, active and, and flowing. Because notice, she was always used to, as they were in this region, of drawing water out of stagnant wells, where the water was never, like, you know, moving. And so he's trying to get her to, to see, too, hey, water that I can give you, it's always moving, it's always active, it's powerful, it's effective, it's influential. Well, that started to, you know... She started to think about, wow. So, she says, verse 11, Sir, the woman said to him, You have no bucket. And this well is deep. It was. They were deep, deep wells. Where then do you get this living water? See, she's starting to... Her curiosity is aroused about what Jesus is saying to her, and she wants to know more. Where can, where can I find? Do, do you know of a well around here that I don't? In your travels through here, do, do, do you and your disciples find a source of something that we don't know about? I want to I know more about this. And then she says, Surely you're not greater than our ancestor Jacob, are you? Well, yeah, just a little bit. For he gave us this well and drank from it himself. Whoa. Along with his sons and his livestock. See, the Samaritans, one of the other obvious things you find out in this passage about Samaritans is that they sort of used Jacob as their, you know, he was their head. You know, the, which is very interesting because even non-Jews in that area, even to this day, they still go back to Abraham. Abraham was sort of like the head, the model, the great Abraham. But the Samaritans, they didn't want to be like everybody else, so they picked Jacob. And when you read the book of Genesis, you go, what was so great about Jacob? That you would want him to sort of be your representative head of what you believe. But maybe it was just to be different, like a lot of people are today. So notice, Jesus replied. He didn't answer necessarily her question about am i greater than jacob which is interesting but he does say this because he wants to keep her on this idea of water and notice again something too that jesus is doing here 
He meets us all where we are. He doesn't use the same approach with the woman of Samaria at the well that he did with Nicodemus. With Nicodemus, he talked about new birth and being born again. With the woman at the well who's come to draw water, he's talking about living water. See? So he says, everyone who drinks some of this water will be thirsty again. Wanting, longing. You can get water from this well, but you're going to have to come back again and keep getting more and more water. But whoever drinks some of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Never wanting, never longing or lacking. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up, literally gushing up to eternal life. Jesus is simply saying, the water that I will give you has lasting impact. You will never have to go back and keep drawing more out of the well. Once you accept this living water, it will nourish you, sustain you, satisfy you once and for all. It has lasting effects. It is the aorist tense here of the Greek. And what it simply means, it's a one-time thing that has lasting effects. And Jesus is saying, if you partake of this living water, it will last. You'll never have to keep coming back to that like you do this well. What a statement. Do you have that fountain inside of you tonight? I hope so. And let's remember again that that means that if we truly are responding to that fountain that God has placed within us, and that's exactly what the words mean when Jesus says, it will become in him. It will be made. It's a miracle that God performs. He builds this fountain within us that springs up to eternal life. By the way, keep your finger there real quick because I've got the time. And go over to the Gospel of John chapter 7. I'll show you exactly what Jesus meant by all this. In John chapter 7 verse 37. Just a few chapters over. On the last day of the feast, the greatest day, Jesus stood up and shouted out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. Just as the scripture says, from within him will flow rivers of living water. And what's he talking about there? He said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were going to receive. For the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The fountain, if you will. The everlasting fountain that continues to gush and spring up inside of believers in Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit of God that indwells us. And that's why we never have to be thirsty because He permanently indwells us as believers. And God inside of us gives us everything we will ever need or ever want. And we don't ever have to look outside of ourselves when we have God inside of us. We have everything we will ever need and want within. We simply have to tap into the fountain that's already there and drink from that fountain. 
And see, this was something so hard for this woman to grasp. It's something so hard for people to grasp today even because they keep wanting to look outside of themselves to fulfill and satisfy. And even Christians who have the Holy Spirit living within them continue to go outside of the Holy Spirit and try to continue to be fulfilled and satisfied by something other than the fountain that will only satisfy them that's already within them. And so very important teaching here that Jesus is giving this woman and all of us in John chapter 4. So go back to John 4. The woman said to him, and you know what? That's probably, again, whatever. If, if I knew about that kind of living water, hopefully I'd have the same wise response the woman does. She says, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. But see, she's still looking at it from a physical perspective. Hasn't crossed over yet to the spiritual. But notice something here. Jesus is being very patient with her because who He is is progressively becoming a little bit more clear as we're going to see. It takes a little time. And, and I really believe that this woman came to faith eventually in Jesus Christ. But obviously there had to be some things that were overcome. And we're going to get to one of those major things because I want to I take a, a little bit of a turn here. Because there are many even Christians that would have stopped right there. And as soon as that woman or that man or whoever they were with said, I want some of that water, the response of many Christians would be, well then let's pray and you receive that water. And as soon as that person would have prayed, they would have said, okay, there's another notch on my you know, witnessing belt and there's another person that's come to God. And Jesus here is showing us that's, to me, why Jesus doesn't stop there. Because that's not the gospel. See, it's one thing to desire the gift of God, but part of the gospel and what, what mankind has to come to a realization of in order to truly embrace the gospel and accept this gift is to come face to face with who they really are. And to confront their sinfulness. And to acknowledge their need of a Savior and a Deliverer. And to bring all that right before. You can't, you can't come to God. No human being can ever come to God until we are willing to face our need of a Savior. And to truly acknowledge we are a sinner. And that's why Jesus doesn't stop there. But says this, which would have really started an uncomfortableness inside this woman. He said to her, go call your husband and come back here. And we're going to find out, hmm, this isn't going to be pleasant. But I know I'm jumping a little bit ahead of myself, but... This is what God wants to do. He wants to show us, look, I know all the yuck. I know all the baggage. I still love you. 
But the only way that you will truly be delivered and truly be saved, not just from the penalty, but from the power of sin, is to acknowledge your need and dependence of me and to understand that you've got to come face to face and I've got to come face to face with our sin and acknowledge it before God. And then we realize God loves me in spite of the fact that He knows everything about me, all the yuck, and He's willing to take all of this brokenness and all of this sin and He's willing to love me in spite of it and use me in spite of it and deliver me from it. But I got to be willing to face it. And that's why Jesus now turns the conversation a little bit uncomfortable and says, go call your husband. Because she says, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, right you are. When you said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the man you are living with now is not your husband. This you said truthfully. And I, I, the implication is there's been a little bit more between her and Jesus at this point. I love the woman's response here. She says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. How in the world do you know all this about me? And yet you're willing, knowing all this about me, and how I'm probably not the woman in Sychar that has the best reputation. In fact, that's probably one of the reasons why she came alone by herself in the heat of the day to draw water because she wanted to avoid contact with other women in the city who would normally come in the cool of the morning or the cool of the evening to draw water. No, she was going out at high noon because she didn't want contact. She had some things to avoid. And Jesus was trying to show her, if you just stop avoiding and running from your past and realize who it is who is with you, who's talking with you, and what I can offer you in spite of all that, that all that you have done in your life to try to fill that hole and and find fulfillment and satisfaction in all these relationships and all these other things that hasn't brought you any of that, I can take care of that. But you've got to stop looking at the physical and material and you've got to begin looking at the spiritual. At what I can do. Now many people believe that at this point she's trying to sort of change the course of the conversation and start arguing about religion. But I don't get that from the original. I think at this point she's, she's, she's broken. She understands this, this man knows about my past and he knows, he knows it all, pretty much. And I think at this point, she's just like, well, then where do I go with this? What do I do? Because she says there's a difference here. And she acknowledges that difference. She says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you people say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. And in a sense, what I think she's saying is, I think she's just still searching, like, well, where do I go? What do I do with this? How do I, how do I make this right then? How do I overcome this? How do I get rid of this guilt and shame and all the the, the bad things that I've done wrong and how my life has turned out so different from 
Maybe the way I had w- at once had planned for it to. And Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Jesus is getting ready to teach something very profound and we're going to pick up on this next week. But Jesus says, You people worship what you do not know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. In other words, the origin of salvation is obviously from the Jews. And by the way, the word know here means to belong to, to have a relationship with. Jesus is simply saying, you don't have a relationship. That's why you lack knowledge. Knowledge comes from relationship. You're lacking that. And then he says, but a time is coming. Don't miss this. And now is here. When the true worshipers, real, genuine worshipers, worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks. The word seek means to require, to demand such people to be His worshipers. This isn't just, well, if you like, this is the way you need to worship God. No, this is a requirement from God's perspective. And what Jesus is saying is this. First of all, we've got to get rid of the externals here when it comes to worship. And we've got to focus on the heart. Those who want to worship God, it must be truly spiritual in nature because he goes on to say in verse 24, God is spirit and the people who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And Jesus is saying, you you Samaritans are caught up with where you worship and what mountain you worship on and all the external rituals and all that. And the Jews are caught up in it too. They're concerned about, you know, the temple and Jerusalem and all that. And Jesus is saying, true worship is not something that can be measured externally by what people do or don't do that can be seen. But true worship starts on the inside and then works its way outside. Because just like in Jesus' day, there can be Pharisees and Sadducees that if you were to look at them as they did in Jesus' day, they would say, they're great worshipers. They're doing all the right things. And whether like in our day, whether they're raising their hands or not raising their hands, it's irrelevant with God if the heart isn't right. And we as Christians can become very good at knowing what to do in certain situations to make it look like I'm worshiping God. And not that we don't want to encourage worship. And obviously worship is more than just singing and praising and all that. But even in that, a Christian can be singing along at worship and can be doing everything outwardly. But God looks at the heart. And we can fool other people, and other people can even determine they must be great worshipers. But Jesus is saying, those that worship me, it's got to be truly spiritual in nature. We've got to get rid of all the external measurements and ways that, that we look at worship, and we've got to get back to, as Matt Redman wrote, the heart of worship which is that worship from God's perspective starts on the inside. 
And obviously, we want to encourage you that as God leads you to worship Him, to do it. But don't do it because others expect you to. Don't do it because you feel forced. Don't do anything because you feel like it's just an appearance that I'm trying... Whatever we do in worship, even in our obedience, it's to be heart-driven. Heart-driven. And then the second thing that Jesus here is primarily saying is it's got to be according to truth. It's got to be in accordance with God's revelation. It can't be we make up our own way to worship and that's acceptable to God. That goes back even to all the way to the book of Genesis where Cain brought what he wanted. And Abel brought what was revealed to bring. And the reason why Abel's sacrifice was acceptable to God was because this is what God revealed should be brought. Cain said, I'm going to do it my own way, and God, you better be happy with it. And so like today, we can't just worship however we want to and say, God, I'm really sincere in this, and I'm really working hard at my worship, and this better be acceptable to you if it's not in accordance with God's truth. We've got to come to God God's way, which even goes into the whole thing of salvation. When a person comes to God, they've got to go through Jesus. There is no other way. We can't make up our own way to God and we can't make up our own worship and think that somehow that's acceptable to God. It's got to be according to truth to what God has revealed. And so Jesus here is laying this out for this woman so that she doesn't get caught up in all the externals and all the things that she's heard and the religion of even the Samaritans. What Jesus wants to boil it down to, and he's going to do it very well next week, it's about a relationship. It's about you and me. It's about you accepting what I can offer, this living water. That's what it's about. And once that Holy Spirit is within you, that fountain of living water, then let that just begin to gush and spring up in you every day and producing you the eternal life that I gave you as a gift to honor you. That's what it's about. God wants to have those one-on-one times with us, just like He did with the Samaritan woman. He wants to do it because He loves us, He cares about us. And yeah, there might be some uncomfortableness at times when we're alone with God. But any time that God steers sort of the conversation towards uncomfortableness, again, it's only because He loves us and wants us to understand that it's only when we come to grips and come to terms with certain things can we actually get past it and move on and get victory. And that's the only reason God does it. Not because He ever wants to throw anything up in our face. Because He wants to heal us from it and get us to move on from it and move past it. That's His motivation. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the ministry, the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ where, Lord, we, we can learn so much about you and your heart by just reading the Gospels and seeing how Jesus interacted with people like this Samaritan woman. 
We see, God, how you want to break down walls and barriers. How you care about even one individual, one Samaritan woman that nobody else probably cared about. Nobody else had time for. Nobody else would have had a conversation with in public, in daylight. And yet you, the perfect, sinless Son of God, was willing to have a conversation with this woman, a Samaritan woman, a woman who had less than a stellar reputation because you love us all. And you want to give us living water so that we'll never thirst, never want, never long for anything ever again. But Lord, where we will realize that everything we ever wanted, everything we'll ever need is already within us through the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. God, in this time and even week and season of thanksgiving, Lord, may we be thankful for what we have in You. And instead of always getting caught up in looking outside, to find fulfillment and satisfaction. Help us, Lord, as Christians to realize that everything we ever would want, we already have. We have been made rich through Jesus Christ, our Savior. God, go with us this week. Help us throughout this holiday season to be like Jesus in seizing opportunities when they present themselves. We may not have them on our appointment schedule. We may not have them planned. We may not even be prepared for them. But there may be someone like that woman at the well that you want us to come in contact with in order to share living water with them. God, use us, we pray, to bring honor and glory to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, a couple announcements real quick. Don't forget this Sunday.